Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now, let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Marriage should not be the place where sex goes to die. In fact, it should be very much alive, healthy, and you should all be enjoying it if you are married. Sex is a beautiful and a wonderful thing. And I had the privilege and pleasure of talking about all things sex for married couples in this conversation with my next guest, Deborah Filita and Gary Thomas. They've written a new book called Married Sex. I highly encourage you if you are married right now to go and get a copy of it. And even if you're not married and you're a young person and you're wanting to know more about why sex is important for marriage and how you can have a spiced up love life when you do get married and not have it die essentially, then go and get a copy of his book. It's called Married Sex, A Christian Couple's Guide to Reimagining Your Love Life. All links are in the show notes below for you. But my guests, Deborah Filita and Gary Thomas, have teamed up to write this incredible book. And Deborah is a licensed professional counselor, national speaker, relationship expert, and author of True Love Dates, Choosing Marriage, Love in Every Season, as well as Are You Really Okay? She's also the host of the Hotline Style Love Plus Relationships podcast. Her popular relationship advice blog, truelovedates.com, reaches millions of people with the message that healthy people make healthy relationships. Uh, You can connect with her on Instagram, Facebook, everything like that that you need to. All links again in the show notes below. And Gary Thomas is a writer in residence at Second Baptist Church, Church in Houston, Texas. And he's also a faculty member teaching on spiritual formation at Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon, and Houston Theological Seminary in Houston, Texas. He's the author of, get this, 20 books, including When to Walk Away, Scared Pathways, Cherish, and Sacred Marriage, over 1 million copies sold. He has a master's degree in Regent College and was awarded an honorary doctorate in Divinity from Western Seminary, has, Gary has spoken in 49 states and 10 different countries, believe it or not. And was this such a fun, real, and enlightening conversation for not only myself, but I definitely would say that it would be for you too. Uh, some of the things that we do talk about in this conversation is why sex should always be on the table for every single married couple. Uh, the five senses of sex, let's talk more about what sex really is, why it's important, how it builds relationships even more. Plus, we also dive into why porn is a problem, especially for couples uh, in that want to have healthy relationships. So I know that this is a topic that some may agree with what Deborah and Gary are saying and others may not, and that is completely fine as well. The story box is a place for all people of all different walks, backgrounds, beliefs, you name it, to share and you can choose to take away what you will from these incredible conversations and stories uh, that my guests share. So if you do get something from this conversation, my friends, then please do share it around to your friends and your family. If you are a young person at the moment and wanting to get married, this is definitely a conversation for you that you need to hear. 
And if you are a married couple, trust me, you can thank me later when you do get the book. <laughs> but that being said, my friends, I really do appreciate each and every one of you. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, so please don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than my two guests, Deborah Filita and Gary Thomas. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Jay. It's a, it's an honor to have you both here. I mean, we were just discussing a moment ago about this book and, you know, I, I really wanted to have you both on because I feel like this is a conversation that needs to be had and the message that needs to be spread. Before we dive into all of the goodness that this book is, I have a question for you both and I'm curious which one wants to start with this one, but uh, what does success look like for you? Who wants to go first? Success in general, you know, it's, it's funny because even just this book launching into the world has been a reminder to me that success is not book sales, interviews, podcast, reach platform, Instagram. Um, I I just got back from a vacation with my family. I've got four little kids and a husband and just looking at the life we've created these little healthy little kids are, you know, a good, strong marriage. You know, God just kind of reminded me all the stuff that you're doing is the extra, but what really matters and what really indicates success is how you're honoring me with this group. And, and so to me, that's kind of what my focus has been these days. How about for you, Gary? Uh, It's to hear those words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's not in opposition to what Deborah said in addition to it, because I think what she's saying is a part of that. Yeah. But it really is. I, I, I believe in the end, that's like Corinthians 510. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may, you know, give credence what has been done while in the body, whether good or useless. And, and I want to hear those words. Well done, my good and faithful servant from my Lord. CJ, that's how you know he's a pastor and I'm a counselor. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Even both just of those answers, answers right off the bat, right? Yeah, I honestly, I love both of those answers. I can relate to both of them, even though I don't have kids yet. But I understand the the sheer gratitude of just being alive and being present with your friends and your family. I feel like that is important. Yeah. And that guides me to one day, I hope and I pray that I do hear those those words from God, well done, my good and faithful servant. Like that for me is, I guess you could say they're both guiding lights for me, but I'm curious for both of you, what, uh, how did you both get started? I mean, Deborah, you are a counselor and Gary, you are a pastor, both two different professions. How did you both get started? We'll start with Gary first. You mean working on the book together? Oh, not the book, your actual careers. We'll get to the book in just a moment. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. Uh, Desperation would be one title if you write the book. There's not anything people would pay me to do, um, much besides what I do, writing and speaking. I'm a mechanical idiot. Uh, <laughs> love sports, but I couldn't make a living at it. Not that good with numbers. I don't like to be in charge of people. Um, and it's what I believe God really called me to do. I'm one of those that knew when I was eight years old, this is what I wanted to do. I loved books. I wanted to write. The challenge is getting paid to do it. So I'm just really glad it worked out. There was a famous novelist. You're probably too young to remember her. She did a trilogy of prehistoric people, Jean L. And she said, the writers who succeed aren't those who want to, but those who need to. Mm. And I don't think I've ever forgotten that quote, because for me, it was sort of this desperate, this really needs to work. And I I can't tell you how grateful I am that Mm. it has. How about for you, Deborah? Yeah, you know, I've always loved helping people and working with people and um, figuring out how people work and how God wired them and getting to the roots. You know, I was always one of those friends who everyone came to kind of tell me their problems. And, and, and honestly, I just, I love finding solutions and helping people find solutions. And, and then when you mix that into just living the healthy life that God wants for us, being a, a licensed counselor just seemed like the perfect fit for me. And I love every minute of it. Mm. Do you find it challenging or, or more or less, what is the most challenging part about your job? 
You know, I, I would say the hard, the hardest part about my job is the heaviness. Um, you're, you're, you're waiting in a lot of people's hard things. You're carrying the burdens with them. You're hearing trauma. You're hearing um, addictions. You're hearing a lot of really hard things that isn't just easy to, you know, turn off the lights and go home and pretend like you didn't hear any of it. So I think there's a heaviness there that you carry, a responsibility that you carry. Um, but at the same time, there's hope. There's the ability to help people carry that burden. There's the ability to help them lift it and lighten their load. And so it goes both ways. I would say the hardest part is also the, the part that is filled with the most hope. Mm. How about for you, Gary? I'll come back to that in just a moment. But how about for you, Gary? What's the most challenging part about what you do? Well, I love the writing process. I even like the editing process. I love the research process. Uh, the worst part is probably, I don't know, marketing. I wish I was better at, a, at marketing. Yeah. But for the writing thing, it's, it's, it doesn't feel like work. It really is one of those things where, assuming I'm not overly tired, if it's Monday and I don't have many meetings, I can do a lot of writing. For me, that looks like a glorious week. Mm. For you, Deborah, how has your faith in God helped you within your job? Yeah, you know, I, I look at healing as a holistic experience. Um, I, I actually just wrote a book before this one called Are You Really Okay? Yeah. And it's about the, the idea that for us to be whole people, we've got to be emotionally, spiritually, mentally, and physically whole. And so the spiritual part is a big piece of healing. And I think sometimes it gets overlooked in the context in a secular conversation where we just kind of talk about mental health, emotional health, but spiritual health is a big part of that. And it informs all of those things. They all kind of work together. So my faith in God has been crucial, foundational. It's the root that, that everything I do kind of overflows from. Mm. I want to ask you, Gary, the same question. How is your faith in God helps your your job currently yeah. well it, i it's my faith is the end not the means i mean the reason i write is an expression of the faith matthew 6 33 is sort of one of my key verses and if you look on side of my wall that's the artwork is a you know, nice calligraphy of that which is seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and so it goes back to what i said before well done my good and faithful servant i i, I do this as the most effective way I know to be a part of the great kingdom adventure, the one that will outlive me, that if I disappeared tomorrow would still be glorious and victorious and, and wonderful. And uh, I may just be one grain of sand on an entire beach, but the beach is so wonderful. I'm happy to be that one grain of sand mm. for such an important work. I love that. Now I want to ask you both because uh, you have teamed up to write this new book called Married Sex. How in the world did that happen, firstly? And whose idea was it to write this book in the first place? Well, I approached Deborah. I'd read, I think, all of her books before that. Um, I, I'm not as sure about True Love Dates if I'd read it by then, but I really, I love the way she thought. I like the way that she brought, she wrote, writes from a thoroughly Biblical worldview. She's conversant with scriptures, but she brings in great licensed counselor training and perspectives. Um, I wanted to do it with a younger person. Deborah's in her 30s. I'm clinging to my 50s. Um, she's a licensed counselor. I'm a pastor. Just felt like a book that would be so helpful for couples would have two completely different perspectives a, a younger marriage, an older marriage, so we could address couples from all walks of life. Jay, we really wanted to write a book. It was ambitious, mm -hmm. um, but we really wanted to write a book that would be the book for evangelical couples to think if we want to explore how to go further in our sexual relationship, how to understand God's purpose, how to understand the relational dynamics, some practical tools and helps, this would be the book that people would go to. Yeah. And I think one of the highest compliments for me is when several pastors said, this is that book. Yeah. <laughs> Pastor told me two days ago, I just bought 10 copies for my leaders and they're going to take the groups or just talk to a counselor who said, this is the book I'm taking my staff through. This is the book I'm going to be recommending to couples. So uh, at least in some corners, I feel like God has allowed that to happen. 
What was your reaction, uh, Deborah, when Gary approached you and said, hey, Deborah, I want to write a book about married uh, relationships and sex. What was your reaction? I thought it was a great idea because I'm seeing the back end of things in my counseling practice. People are struggling with this area and they don't know where to turn. They don't know who to talk to. They, yep. There's not many resources out there to kind of help people along, especially in the Christian context. It's like, yep. who are you, where are you going to go to get these problems solved, to get answers? And so I just thought it was a great idea. And I, I've loved Gary's writings, you know, all of his other books. And so I just felt like this was a perfect opportunity to add to the conversation about sex in a healthy marriage. Mm. I couldn't put the book down when I first got it because the very first page kind of hooks you in and made me laugh. Now I'm not married, but like I was saying to you a moment ago, just how important this is for a young person like myself to still read, preparing themselves for marriage. And I feel like, especially in the Christian circles, and I'm pretty sure that you've researched this a lot, it kind of feels like there's this shame or this stigma around not wanting to talk about sex. Like sex is almost demonized. And I felt that growing up and I was, I didn't want to talk to anyone really about sex at all. Uh, Cause I felt ashamed. Uh, it was kind of like this taboo subject and you kind of felt a little bit nervous to, to mention the subject as well. Uh, it wasn't normalized either. So why do you think that is the case? I'll ask Deborah first and then Gary, I think you can answer this as well. I think we've set the stage to talk about sex in a way that can kind of lend to that culture of silence and shame and in the sense that we actually don't talk about it much besides saying don't have sex before marriage don't do it don't go there and then we don't say anything else Mm -hmm. it's we treat it kind of like a say no to drugs campaign like no 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 and then somehow magically on our wedding day we're supposed to all of a sudden feel no guilt no shame no issues and just revel in the gift of married sex but that's not how it works because the narrative leading up to marriage kind of sets the stage for what we do within marriage and so i think part of the problem is we just haven't talked about it enough and in a healthy context yeah would you like to add on to that gary Well, the one thing I would add, Jay, is that because sex can be so beneficial, and I I don't want to overstate it. Deborah has a great section I love in the book about whether it's a relational issue or a sexual issue. Mm. For sex to thrive, you need to address the whole relationship. But because when sex is working, if that's an awkward phrase, but when intimacy is flowing between husband and wife, they're having fun, mutual pleasure, enjoying each other. It does tremendous things for a marriage and the relationship. It really does. And it's such a powerful tool that I do think you shouldn't be surprised that that's where Satan attacks. Yeah. If it's so helpful, he always wants to take it away. I've analogy I've used in a sermon is that sex is nuclear. It could light up your city or it can blow up your world. And as a pastor, I've seen that time and again, the force it can do to, to pull a couple together, to renew their affection, to settle them, to help them walk in integrity or how it can just blow up their world when it gets outside of marriage. And so I think because it's such a powerful tool, um, we want to make sure it's used for couples, mm-hmm. not against couples. Yeah, Levi Lesko wrote an endorsement where he, for our book. And I love that the line that he said, if the enemy can't take you out in the battlefield, he'll mm-hmm. take you out in the bedroom. Yeah, and I great. think there's so much truth to that. There's a lot of problems behind the scenes that people just aren't quite sure how to navigate. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with everything you both just said. And, and that uh, endorsement was yeah, powerful too. Uh, I'm, I've always been curious. So in your research and your study, this may be a question for both of you, but why do you think that God created sex in the first place? This is a good one for Gary. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. well first we, we know from Genesis one twenty eight, it's to populate the world. I mean, you could say the very first commandment in scripture is to have sex in the sense of Genesis 128, be fruitful and multiply. They wasn't talking about 
petri dishes. So um, <laughs> you, you could you could put it that way. But then we know throughout other parts of scriptures, like the Song of Song songs, sex is celebrated without any reference, not a single one to conception or procreation. Every time sex is mentioned in the New Testament, it's a relational thing. It's not a utilitarian means just to create children. So by saying that's one of the reasons, that's certainly not the only one. Mm -hmm. And when I just think of what it does to our brains to help us reunite, that the oxytocin that's released, um, the fact that we can literally create human beings who share our DNA. Deborah shared this wonderful picture. They were recently in California with their family. You know, and you've got her and John and four kids that obviously share their DNA. It is such a beautiful sight to see that. Um, Are you saying they all look like us? <laughs> <laughs> parts. I mean, it, it, it's just, I mean, you know, you're a family. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's just, I just think what it does, Jay, is just amazing. And then the fact that it grounds us as people who are incarnated, we are embodied, we have nerve endings, we were designed to receive pleasure and to give pleasure. And, and one of the silly little factoids that came out was how um, when you're giving touch, the way our nerve endings and receptors respond, the person giving touch receives pleasure back. Yeah. And, and it's, that's so God that you're giving pleasure and receiving pleasure by giving pleasure. I mean, when you really just step back and look at it, it's, it's an amazing thing that God has created. Mm. Do you want to add on to that, Deborah? Yeah. The other thing that kind of came out through this book and it's, it's a known fact, but we just kind of focused in on the fact that the female sexual organ has literally one and only purpose and that's sexual pleasure that's it so to think that there's an entire body part that god gave a woman just exclusively for sexual pleasure there's no other reason mm. is eye-opening to 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 me and, and and i think to the majority of people to think you know what like god really does care about this he wants us to enjoy this gift he made it for us to enjoy. And, and it's a reflection of, of something even bigger. The, the connection between a husband and a wife is a reflection of our need to connect, our desire to connect, even as a, a single person. The fact that you were made for connection. There's something really powerful and beautiful there. And I really think that deep down our need for sex is actually a need for connection. Mm. There's there's a bigger picture at play. And so the whole thing, when you look at it through the context of who God is and what he wants for us, I just think it, it's a really powerful and beautiful thing. I have so many questions I want to ask you, but the, the one question that I do want to sort of dive into at the moment is um, in, in relation to why God created sex specifically for married people and why it's uh, changed in, in today's society that people, I guess they don't want that commitment. They don't want that attachment. So why do you think God made it just for marriage? I'll ask Deborah first. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I I'll focus on this psychological components and have Gary focus on the biblical components. When you, when you look at the power of sex, I mean, there's a couple of things that sex does for you. Um, number one, I think sex creates a bond. Um, yeah. Gary mentioned oxytocin, you know, the, the, the hormone that's released when you're engaging with someone in such an intimate way. They call it the bonding chemical because there's, there's something powerful there that just makes you feel this closeness. Um, the other thing that sex does is it, it, it releases pressure in a relationship and that can be used in a healing way. You know, when, when you and your spouse have had a little bit of an argument or you're just not feeling connected, sex can be used to kind of release some of that tension. Um, I think when, when sex is taken outside the context of marriage, 
what ends up happening is we can use it to cover all kinds of relationship issues rather than dealing with them. Yeah. And, and that can happen in marriage too. But I think it's mo most commonly happens when we're not married because we feel such a closeness, such a connection. We don't even know that there's problems there because when you're dating, you see everything through a rose colored lens. And so it kind of covers up some of those relationship flaws rather than allows us to deal with them in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And so I think because sex is so powerful, it's so special, it's so intimate. I think God wants us to enjoy it at its best in the context of a safe, committed marriage where you're in this together for life and, you, and your sex life is just an overflow of that commitment. Mm. How about the, uh, the biblical standpoint, yeah. Gary? Let, let me say why we, what we want to be careful with. Um, th there's been a lot of critique of the purity movement with some really good points that people feel like if they mess up in this area, they feel shamed and yep. because you're not supposed to have sex outside of marriage and that you're ruined and whatnot. That's not the Bible's emphasis. If you look at 1 Thessalonians 4, when Paul says that, that we're to avoid sexual immorality, which in case anybody wonders, understood in the context of Paul's time, any form of sex outside of marriage, that's how it was read in first century Greek literature. So everybody reading Paul would have assumed any form of sex outside of marriage is what he's including here. And it's not because you'll be shamed or ruined or nobody will want you. I love the turn he takes and that in this matter, nobody wrong his brother or sister. Mm. Paul is saying you're hurting someone when you're being sexually intimate with them outside of marriage, even if they ask for it, even if they seem to be enjoying it. God is our creator. He knows how our brains work, our minds work. He knows how relationships work. Deborah alluded to a lot of that. And he knows that outside of marriage, sex isn't a safe place. It doesn't set us up to thrive in our relationships. And the reality is Studies show that it's married monogamous couples that enjoy the most satisfying sex lives. And in fact, that sometimes they say it's, it takes about 20 years for a couple to reach its sexual prime. And so getting married, living monogamously, building your relationship on all levels is really the key to the highest form of sexual satisfaction. So I think God says what he says to protect us to heighten the pleasure mm. uh, and because he loves us and he knows that's the best thing for us. Love all that. You have to bear with me with this particular question. I'll try and explain it as best I possibly can, but let's just say two young people, they want to get married, but they're, they're both virgins. They don't have any idea what they, uh, what they're doing essentially. And then they get married and then one of the partners say, oh, I don't like this. And then now they're kind of stuck in quotation marks in this committed relationship for the rest of their life. And then now the sex is kind of thrown off the table. They're not enjoying it. They're having issues with that. I think this is what the whole book is really about. But what would you say to a young person like that is going through that currently? I think it's important to understand that you're not supposed to be sexually compatible at the get-go. I mean, it's just not realistic. Basically, the, the picture you described could be the first month of our of my marriage. You know, we had no clue what we were doing. Like, this isn't even that fun. They they really talked this up. Yeah. But but that's because we were just starting this new experience. We we hadn't had any lessons, we hadn't had training, we didn't know what we were doing, we didn't know even how to communicate about it. And so the beauty of sex in marriage is that you have a lifetime to learn and grow. No one's good at anything the first time they try it, the second time they try it, the 10th time they try it. That's just not realistic in, in anything in life. And I think we need to apply those same realistic expectations to sex. Like you shouldn't expect to have this crazy honeymoon experience if you've never had sex before. This is a process and it's a beautiful process of becoming a better person just as much as becoming a better lover. And, and I think that takes time. Yeah. 
I don't think it's an accident that you asked that as a single person, because I know for a lot of guys, that's their great fear. I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait. And what if then she doesn't even like it after we get married? And some women could feel that way too. But here, here's the situation. You want to figure out what is it that they don't like. If you marry a person of character, there, there are some physical components involved, but you can learn it. It's not rocket science. Um, and as the relationship grows, you want to enjoy each other and you want to be close to each other. And the fact is, God is a really good creator. Mm. He designed bodies for sexual pleasure. Sometimes our minds have to catch up. That's what people like Deborah for, licensed counselors that can help you. If, it, if it's past trauma, if there's some repulsions from other things, those can be dealt with with a counselor. But when it comes to those other things, you, you probably just haven't gotten there yet. And one of the chapters are on the five senses of sex. Yes. And it's so key how God literally created every sense in our body to magnify sexual pleasure. And so there are things that you can learn to say, well, you don't like it yet. Just, just wait. Uh, like we said, that sexual prime is different than genital prime. Genital prime is when physically you can have sex Sexual prime is when the couple can truly enjoy it at its highest level, where they thrive in their sexual relationship. Those are two very different things. And so, yeah, I'm sure people starting to play the guitar with <laughs> sore fingers and blisters, and it doesn't sound very good. And people laugh. Think, I, I don't want to learn how to play this. But aren't we glad that Jimi Hendrix kept playing mm -hmm. uh, to leave the legacy he did? And it, I think it could be like that with sex. Very. Not only that, Jay, but I think there's a learning curve to talking about it, you know, yeah. learning to have conversations about sex, talk about what you like, what you don't like, what you need, what feels good. This is a, a process of interacting, of drawing close to each other, of building on your relationship, of feeling like the other person is safe and listening and there for me. And when you have those things in a marriage you will be able to get your sex life to a good place. When you've got a listening ear, when you've got someone who cares about how you feel just as much as how they feel, somebody who's putting your interests first, thinking mm -hmm. of you, when you've got that going both ways, you're going to get there. It's just a matter of conversation, time, learning technique, all of these different things that you're going to build upon through the years. We are just discussing a moment ago on the communication aspect of things. Now, I, I, for one, what in the world are you meant to say to your, your significant other if you are feeling ashamed of even mentioning anything like your deep inner vulnerabilities about your body, about what you like, what you don't like, and how they're, how they're meant to react to it? What do you say firstly, and how are you meant to react in that moment? Who wants to go first? <laughs> That's Deborah all the way. That's yeah. the <laughs> question. You know, when you, when you're talking about it from the lens of a single person, I think it seems overwhelming to just imagine a relationship in which you can be vulnerable, authentic, real. But I really think that's the, the joy and the beauty and the purpose of the dating stage. Yep. It kind of sets you up to start having those conversations, to start seeing, is there safety here? Is there trust here? Can I be vulnerable? What is it like? So it's almost like the test run, the dating stage. Mm -hmm. You don't just go from singleness to all of a sudden you're in this vulnerable, authentic, let me just tell you my deepest, darkest secrets. Trust is not something you just give as a gift. Trust is something that has to be earned. And yep. so it starts in the dating phase. It, it moves into the engagement phase. By the time you're in the marriage stage, you've really set up the, the foundation of trust and intimacy and authenticity. So when something comes up and, and you've been working on those things, it, it, it's so much easier to start the conversation there versus from scratch. Yeah. Not to say it's it's simple because, you know, my husband and I do this thing that we call Sunday night check-ins where we kind of share some of our vulnerabilities, some of our struggles, some of our fears, insecurities and when we first started doing that, you know, there is a little bit of discomfort. That's a little awkward. It's like, how much do I share? How much do I not share? What's what's the reaction going to be? But again, when when you know that you have a safe relationship and you've kind of built that during dating and engagement, yeah. it sets the stage for these type of conversations. And I think the key is 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 going into these conversations 
with a listening ear, like listening well, Um, not, not, not being there to defend yourself, not being there to fix the problem. I just want to listen. I just want to hear you. I just want to see what you need. I also think whenever you're the one that wants to share something with your spouse, start with affirmation. I always talk about having the emotional bank filled up before you make withdrawals. So let's say, Jay, you're married to a woman and and you're struggling with something and you want to share There's something in the relationship that you think you guys need to work on. You always start by filling her tank before you make those withdrawals. And whether it's talking about communication, whether it's talking about sex, whether it's talking about your own personal insecurities, I think it's important to kind of see it like a bank and make sure you're making those healthy deposits first. Yeah. How do you know within the context of you actually starting to date, how do you know when is the actual right time to bring all this up? Yeah. You know, I always, I look at dating in in different seasons. Um, I, I kind of re- relate them to the, the natural seasons, spring, summer, fall, and winter. And yep. each stage kind of serves a purpose. But if we're kind of looking at it like a timeline, I think the season of fall which is kind of the season when your true colors start to shine through the season of winter, when things are your, your emotions are kind of starting to settle into a routine and you're moving towards engagement. You've built a good amount of trust by then. And I think that's a a good stage to kind of start revealing some of those things that are going on inside of you that maybe you've kind of kept to yourself. You, You weren't, you didn't have the trust in the relationship then and then as you're moving towards engagement, a lot of people look at engagement as the wedding planning stage, but it's it's really the marriage prep stage where you start talking about some of the hard things and sorting through some of the, the issues that you're dealing with. Yeah, I've heard the, sorry, Gary, you go. Well, I'm going to ask Deborah what she thinks of this because um, she, she's done more on, on singles and whatnot. I have a good friend. He's got a PhD in, in psychology and counseling. He focuses primarily on sexual issues. And he tells a horror story about laying it on his wife a week before the wedding about his porn problem. Mm-hmm. And it was devastating. It, it was so wrong. I think something like that probably should be shared. And this is where I want Deborah's feedback on before the engagement, before yeah. you're really asking someone. I think you need to be very safe. When you're giving out information that could be used against you, you want to know, is this person filled with the Holy Spirit? Is this the kind of person that would use information against me? Or even if it doesn't go forward, is this? But eventually, I think before you're asking them to make a public commitment, mm-hmm. I think you've got to kind of tell them that this is the baggage I'm carrying. And I'd say the same thing if you're $250,000 in debt, if you've got yeah. a life, a serious life disease where, and I mean, just, just something where. I think before you get to that engaged where people know it part, you've got to reveal some of the stuff that somebody just has a right to know before they make a public commitment. Yeah, Yeah, I would agree with that. I think if the season of engagement is when we work on those things, the season right before engagement is when we reveal those things, kind of talk through them. You've built trust at that point. You're looking ahead at marriage but before you make that public commitment, I think it's time to get real about some of the things that you're struggling with, some of the, the things that are going on deep down inside. Yeah, Gary actually went ahead of me and and <laughs> asked a question I was actually going to go get into. So it may as well get further into it. Now, the yeah. idea of or the, the area of pornography is quite quite broad and it can be a touchy subject for a lot of people I know. Uh, it can be a very vulnerable experience, even opening up about it. I know because I struggled with it for a number of years, ever since the age of 12. Uh, and even removing yourself away from that and what the my porn addiction did to my past relationships, it's absolutely dreadful. But you have these, I guess, counselors and these people, I want to be very respectful of their credentials and their opinions and so forth here. But uh, from your perspective, why is porn or bringing porn into a marriage or relationship? Why is that dangerous? And uh, for those couples that think, oh, it's not doing any harm if we both watch it together. What would you say to those people? Who wants to go first? Jay, before, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let Deborah kind of pick up on that. But can I talk to you directly about this? Of course. I, I work with a lot of premarital couples. But when I'm working with just one party, it's usually the young men and sometimes even before they're engaged. 
And I just want to say, as a guy in his late 50s, you grew up in a different world than I did. Yep. I, I grew up in a world where you could get dad's magazines or something. My dad didn't have them, but they would be behind a counter. You had to be, I don't know, 16, mm-hmm. 18. I don't, I don't know how old you had to be. And it's not fair to say to a 12-year-old boy, click on this button and you get to see what a naked woman looks like. Click on this button. You get to see what sex is. I grieve for your generation. And I I don't think it's a fair fight because I've seen earnest young men who love the Lord filled with shame and guilt. When at 12, you didn't have the spiritual wherewithal for something that's powerful. And I think God's judgment is on those who caused you to stumble not a 12-year-old boy who isn't looking for it, or even if he was out of curiosity and then it overwhelms him. So I, I just want to say from a pastor's perspective, sort of an older guy's perspective, um, good for you for recognizing the harm. Um, but I, you know, when I'm working with couples now with guys your age, it's like, when did it happen and how extensive has it been rather than has there ever been exposure because it's near ubiquitous? And then I'll let the counselor pick it up from here to answer the second part of your question. Yeah. You know, I think it's important too to differentiate that there is problematic porn use and then there's addiction. Yeah. You know, and and I would say that there we we've got to kind of know what we're working with first. Um, but going back to your question as far as a couple. You know, is it a what? What is what about a couple who wants to watch together? I think what's dangerous about this is that when you're watching porn, it's releasing certain chemicals in your brain that feel great. Yeah. It's arousing your body. It's 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 changing your template. And when I say template, it's like the certain things that get you aroused. It's almost like um, tasting certain foods, right? When you're used to having cotton candy all the time, real fruit isn't going to taste as sweet. It's not going to taste as good. And so you're putting these things in front of you to get aroused. But then it starts to deplete your ability to find joy and pleasure in real life relationships, in real life interactions, in real life bodies and connection. And so I think it's damaging for the, the the sheer fact alone of the fact that it's taking away from the joy and pleasure in your marriage, not to mention all of the other injustices, I mean, of what porn actually is and the people who are in porn. And I mean, we could even talk about the next level of like why this is harmful for to the world in general. But just speaking to your one question about what does it look like in a relationship? I mean, you're causing more damage to your relationship than good. Yeah. And, and Jay, um, for the young men and, and women, frankly, because there's a growing number of women struggling with this. It's it's one of the worst miseducation formats ever launched against young people. I worked with a couple one time where he thought something was wrong with his wife mm. because she couldn't orgasm through penetrative sex alone if nothing else was going on. And I had to point out to him, that's true for about 85% of women. I said, yeah. not only is she not abnormal, I said, she is very, very normal. I said, well, but then it takes like 10 minutes, you know, of, of stimulation afterwards. I said, which is actually less than average. So he had a wife who could warm up. Uh, uh, she's above average. And he thought something was wrong. And I had to stress with him. They call them porn actresses yeah. for a reason. Yeah, they're acting. And so you really got to recalibrate your brain. Um, That's why you want that period of abstinence and really focus on the relationship um, and reconnecting because uh, porn is just it's a lie. And what Deborah says is it's usually abusive. A woman who and says, well, we just go on free sites. One woman shared with me where she was abused um, as a young woman. And so actually as a young girl. And so when she became a young woman, she started making free videos because she felt empowered by it. She became a believer and realized how messed up that was. Yeah. And Jay, she can't get them back. No. And there could be people in her church. There could be people she knows. But once they're out there, they can't get back. And so 
there really isn't any victimless porn because hopefully everybody who did that has repented and 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 wants it back. And so we, I, I agree with Deborah. It's not just about what it does to us. I go back to First Thessalonians four, and that in this matter, no one should wrong their brother or sister. Yeah, it's an important issue that I think needs to be discussed more. And from someone that has experienced it firsthand and the damage that it did, not only to myself, but those people around me and my ability to actually connect with women, first and foremost, it was so, yeah, it was so disheartening as well for myself because I thought, what is wrong with me? What is going on? And I felt so ashamed to open up to anyone about it. And I feel like that is the case for a lot of young people. They don't, they don't know how, they don't know the first step. And that's why I encourage people, if the, if you are struggling, if you're a male or a female, to just speak to someone you love and you trust. And at least you're getting that off your chest to them. I mean, I open up about it in my, my first ever book and the dangers of it. And I, I dived into the relationship factor and the fact that what you mentioned, I believe it was Gary, that they're actresses and actors, they, they go home at the end of the day and it's just like they're getting paid to do it. And then also moving on from that, the abuse side of things. Like I, I forgot the statistic, but it was an alarming one that nearly vast majority of the videos that young people see have something to do with abuse. And it appeals to uh, false senses and false realities of fantasies that if you're not careful, you take that into your relationship or your marriage. And then when they don't get off on it, you wonder what's, what's happening. So I think it's a, a massive, massive danger for porn, especially for, I, I forgot the the word here, but I think um, someone was telling me that they're talking about safe porn or something like that. I forgot the the exact term, but they're promoting that as being harmless and safe. And they don't really understand the neurological pathways that are being rewired for not just young people, but older people too. So yeah, that's just my little spiel. <laughs> well, a couple may have their own agenda for why they would want to look at it together, but let's not be naive. Satan has an agenda for why he wants them to look at it together. Yeah. And when you're playing in his arena, uh, you're really putting yourself in harm's way. Yeah, absolutely. Now I wanted to, the, the area of masturbation for couples and, 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 um, especially married couples. Right. Um, and I wanted to ask you both in terms of, is it still okay to not engage in, uh, sex with your partner and go off and masturbate for yourself? Is that still okay? If you're married? A lot of good questions. <laughs> you know, I always encourage people to stay away from masturbation in marriage. I think it's a dangerous path to go down. Are there exceptions? Yeah, I think there's a couple exceptions. Um, for example, when when one of you is in the military, you haven't seen each other in six months, the, the mutual masturbation, something that you're doing together as a married couple to connect is completely different than going off on your own to get needs met rather than going to your spouse, yeah. rather than connecting with your spouse. Uh, I always say this, sex isn't just about release. It's about relationship. Yeah. And I think when we start making it just about release, we're really missing something. We're missing something powerful. Um, and, and so I think self-control is an important part of marriage. It, it, it's an important skill to be a healthy person. It's a skill that you're going to need as a single person. And it's a skill that you're going to need in marriage as well. And so I think it's really, you know, I think it's important to lay the groundwork. And when people ask me, my, my advice is let that be something that you discuss as far as mutual masturbation, but as far as solo masturbation, I think the healthiest option is that that's off the table. Yep. Do you want to add on to that, Gary? Uh, I, th I think that's a great answer. Um, you know, we, when Deborah and I did what we called the shades of gray chapters, we really tried to say, we want to speak clearly where scripture speaks clearly yeah. um, and not where scripture doesn't. Um, 
scripture doesn't have an absolute prohibition on it, but I think mm-hmm. the relational dynamics that she, that um, that Deborah talked about are, are are certainly ones that that we want to consider. Um, I, I, I'm not as adamant when I can't say, you know, thus saith the Lord, uh, as we can on on some issues, but there are some things. I, you know, Dr. Mitch Whitman is a he's worked on these issues for his entire life. He got his PhD and um, sexual counseling and, and those issues. Um, but I, I would just, I like what he says is he goes, make sure it, it would always be focused on your spouse. And if you do, don't ever think of something your, your spouse wouldn't do or your spouse behaves in a way they won't. Every act of sex should be relationally connecting, which is why I'm, I'm glad Deborah mentioned the military deployments. I've worked with a lot of military branches on that. And so I think that's the issue. Now, these days with communication, Mm. I don't think it has to be solo. And I think it's certainly dangerous when it is. The other thing that another PhD says, Dr. Steve Wilkie, is that there should be no secrets in this area in marriage. If you can't talk about this with your spouse, you shouldn't be doing something on your own. Um, Mm. So I, I tend to lean where Deborah went, um, I don't like to go too hard where scripture doesn't have this prohibition, but then if you do decide to go there, I think there's some of those very important things where this isn't something secretive and it's um, it's real. You're not fantasizing about anything else. Every time you think of sex, it should be focused on cherishing your spouse. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with you both and both your answers. I think it's important to also realize like as we're having this conversation and, and even throughout the book, there are some things that Gary and I have different beliefs, preferences, opinions. And, and I think that's part of a healthy conversation about sex. Yeah. Uh, Gary says a lot that this is a book that's more about questions than answers, mm-hmm. questions that you're going to ask your spouse, questions that you need to talk through. One couple might believe different things or have a different standard than another couple. And obviously there's black and white issues but there's also some grays and and to make everything just black or just white gets us in the shame cycle. If we're not careful, the guilt cycle, if we're not careful, you know, putting, putting um, sins on things that are actually preferences. And so you're going to find that it's okay for us to disagree on, on this subject in particular, or to have different opinions um, and I think that's part of a healthy conversation about sex. Mm, absolutely. I've got three. Let, 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 Jay, let, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Let, but this is why it has to be particular as well. If a guy is going through recovery, if porn yeah. has been a big issue or something, often masturbation will be seen as resetting the date of his recovery. And so it really is one of those personalized things where I think you have to be careful where I think there's some clear cases where, you know, that's really not helping you. I'm glad that you added on to that, <laughs> that yeah, very, very uh, true. And yeah, something that I have thought long and hard about and the whole idea of abstinence and waiting until I do get married. And um, I know it's not going to be easy, but still it's definitely going to be worthwhile for my future relationship, whoever that person is or she is. <laughs> um, I have three final questions for you both, if you don't mind, but before I ask them, where do you want people to get a copy of this book? Anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Christian book. Um, the website that you can go to is marriedsex.us. Okay. I'll make sure that everyone knows where to go. Uh, this is uh, a question that you do answer in the book. Uh, you give a lot of tips and a lot of strategies on how people can spice up their sex life and in marriage and doesn't matter the age that they're at. And you even talk about how sex should only get better as you progress in age, which I thought was a very interesting thought. Uh, I think uh, society has kind of made this thought that uh, when you get married, that's where sex goes to die, (laughs) Uh, if I can say that. So what are some strategies and tips that you would give to people, whatever stage they're at in their marriage? at the moment to spice it up a little bit. This is a great one for the five senses of sex Mm -hmm. that Gary wrote about. Go, Gary. Yeah, well, it's amazing how Song of Songs celebrates sexual pleasure as it relates to literally each of the five senses, uh, Mm -hmm. sight, 
sound, taste, touch. When I start to say that, I always think I'm leaving one out. Smell um, is another one um, because it just engages your brain. If people are familiar with old style computers, you don't see as much on a laptop. The more you use programs, the more you'd see the computer's motherboard light up. It's just drawing. more. It's making the computer come alive. Yep. Our brains are a little bit like that. And when you engage the senses, adding things like music, um, I, we talk about, especially with women, using your your voice as an instrument and, and how you can set a whole new tone, um, changing things up where there's a whole chapter, choose your adventure on different positions um, where you can do it. And then one that a, that a therapist told me he found very helpful and will be using his practice is, is called sacred simmering. Mm. The notion that it's very hard if you live at ice cold to get to red hot. And so on days when you think you might be sexually intimate, learn how to simmer. And we go through the song of songs as they discuss that. Um, it might be favorite parts of what you find most attractive about your spouse. It might be what you like about them relationally, how you respect them, but you're, you're warming up your thoughts so that you want to connect with them later in the day. And we even have a couple where a woman, they just felt like they were always living at ice hot and literally tell how from the time she wakes up until the end of their date night, how they've learned to set it up so that they can really look forward to that night. There's just a lot of practical things you can do. And we have a lot of stories from couples uh, mm -hmm. about things that they've learned to do just mm -hmm. to bring a new element into lifelong monogamy. Mm -hmm. Ideally, the act of simmering is something that we apply to our marriages day in, day out, you know, the, that connection, that love, that those thoughts towards somebody that you really love and appreciate. Um, you know, I think that's the ideal case scenario is that we're constantly at a warm place so that sex is easy and, 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 and happens often naturally. But what you don't realize is that in marriage, that's hard to do. The yeah. natural trajectory of marriage is to drift. And you've got to really work hard to stay connected emotionally and spiritually and physically and mentally and just to keep your heart at a simmering point. It really does take work. There's so many distractions in life. There's so many things on our schedule, so many things that kind of pull us away from each other. Um, and, and so I think the beauty of this book, but just marriage in general, is that God is calling you to, to consider somebody else, to, to move in their direction, to be intentional about growing your marriage and your intimacy and your connection. And I think the overflow of that is a good sex life. Yeah. Well, Jay, there's a tremendous difference between I desire you and I desire sex. Yeah. And let me just tell you, when, as a young man, your wife will know the difference. You don't have to say it, whether you're cherishing her or using her it's two fundamental things and simmering really is set to put the focus on the beauty the excellence the wonder wanting to please your spouse mm. i'll forever remember this i really will what would you say was your favorite part about writing this book well for me that's an easy answer <laughs> um my husband and i did a lot of converse had a lot of conversations a lot of practice. I'd be like, Hey, here's some research I did today. And we, you know, we got a lot of practice in and we conceived a surprise baby. So an <laughs> unexpected little bundle. <laughs> I currently have a nine month old that is the byproduct of writing this book. <laughs> so that was the best part for our family. <laughs> no way. That yes. is incredible. <laughs> and it's a complete shocker, surprise, little boy. So I we're, we're so, so hard grateful when she told me him. the news. <laughs> <laughs> we kinda, we're kinda, we, I guess we kind of have to uh, give some credit to Gary, because if he wouldn't have brought this project to our attention. He wouldn't have a nine month Ethan, old. Ethan probably would have existed. <laughs> so, so when you do read this book, to all the listeners out there, read with caution. <laughs> <laughs> And, and Jay, we do recommend that married people read this book or people who are almost married. Yeah, uh, we wouldn't recommend that singles pick it up, to be honest. I, like, we're not trying to be prudes. Everybody knows what they can handle. But you've read it. It does get explicit in parts because we wanted it to be practical. 
Um, and, and I think for me, the joy was, you know, you have this idea of a book and it just came together in a way where I just, I loved Deborah's contributions. I, I love the way that she could push back and save me from <laughs> places that, you know, just feedback, another woman or a counselor perspective saying, well, let's, let's think about how we communicate that truth to where I really felt like we were able to accomplish our aim to have a book that couples and churches can read. And for, we're talking about healthy couples can read because whenever I do this talk and, and seminar marriage seminars, if you have the Friday night talk, the Saturday morning, then the Saturday night talk is often on sex. And Sunday morning, there's just this, there's this energy, there's this connection, there's just this, this glow that often happens. And I'm just thinking that this book can go out there and do that to these couples that we'll never see. But I do believe it's a very practical tool to deal with the theological, psychological, and practical aspects of how to make what God created, sexual intimacy, a powerful force for uh, relational connection and marital happiness. Yeah. I do want to reiterate on the fact that you wrote this for married people or just people that are about to make that huge commitment. And for single people, I will warn you uh, again, like it is a very racy book, but for me personally, I found it very, not only interesting, but very helpful in preparing myself for that one. It was also a massive like reminder of why I don't go down these these areas anymore and why I'm waiting. So if you do want to read the book, I would encourage you to prepare yourself beforehand <laughs> uh, and then go into it uh, with caution as well. But my final question for you both, I've really, really enjoyed this question, uh, conversation. Sorry, I have so many more questions I could ask you both. But my final question, this is a hypothetical one. I want you both to imagine with me that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. They'd ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll just call it magic for sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Who wants to go first? Gary can go first. Well, I'm going to sound like I'm copying J. Mark Comer, uh, Jay, because um, I, I loved his answer about love. I would love people to look back at my life at 100 and say that was a man of love. He loved God. He loved others. He was all about that aspect of relationship. Yeah. How about for you, Deborah? You know, that's a hard question. Um if I had to to wrap it up in one word, I think it would be the word healing, um, you know, emotional healing, mental healing, uh, healing that I've received from God for my own life, but that I've also been able to overflow into the lives of my family, my husband, my kids, my clients, um, the people I do ministry for, my podcast listeners, the readers of this book that God's healing would flow into me because I sure need it and then overflow into the lives of the people that I have the privilege of working with. Mm -hmm. And Jay, let me add, I do know how to pronounce John Mark Comer's name. I was looking at your name, Jay, and I think I said Jay. So I want to apologize to him. Good, good fix. But as, you know, I know, you I know John will listen. listen to you. So yeah, but I know I was referring to John Mark Comer. I'm sure John will forgive you for that. Don't worry. <laughs> but, he has to, right? If his aim is to be a loving person. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation with you both. Thank you so much for writing this book for pretty much uh, people that need it. Uh, and I, I just want to reiterate the point of how valuable it actually is. And uh, I just want to say thank you once again for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank, thank you. you. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. 
And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.